the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking with today's show. So a bit of a different one for you today. We've actually got the first ever guest on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Right, so I'd like to welcome to the podcast a fellow podcaster, Andy McGrillen. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that sounds perfect, yeah. I did okay there then, done my homework. So Andy's from That UFO Podcast. I just want to start off by saying I'm a big fan of the podcast, Andy, as I'm, as I'm sure you know already. I've been listening since the early days. can't remember exactly when I started listening. I was trying to rack my brains, but it was probably around about the start of 2020. And I remember walking around the woods at the back of my house with my daughter, searching for podcasts on uh, Spotify and stumbled across you. And I've been uh, listening ever since. So it's a real pleasure to have you here to actually chat to no, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, it's good to, you've you were on the listener call in recently as well. And um, it's kind of it's kind of good to hear your voice and speak to you. I was going to say face to face, but you know, voice to voice as, as such. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's been a bit of a crazy crazy year and all that. Um, podcast doing well, and it's, <clears throat> it's it's such a good time. People like yourself getting involved in the, the podcasting world and talking about UFOs and it's in a sensible way and kind of entertaining and fun and infotainment i think lula zondo called it is is the best way to go so so yeah it's it's good yeah man i'm really enjoying it the, the podcasting thing was a bit of a kind of an accident really i just thought one day you know what i'm just going to jump on and, and have a crack at it and record the first episode totally unprepared as, as it goes like but you know it evolves as, as sort of time goes along as i'm sure it did with you as well and uh yeah it's great fun it's good so I've got a few questions then, so let's dig into them. So basically, the the first kind of half of the questions that I put together are sort of based on more factual questions and that kind of thing. And then the second half is a bit more theoretical speculation type stuff. So uh, one thing I was, I was going to ask you first off then is how, how you feel your viewpoint and approach to the, the UFO topic has changed since having your own podcast um it's changed a bit i think when when i when i started the podcast i think the idea for me was still it was very much nuts and bolts um you know have we got have we got craft traveling from other places and starting to look at realities dimensions the the quantum physics side of it and consciousness being involved but still very much the question being you know are these things coming from distant galaxies and different universes to to now it just seems i think I, I almost feel like i know a lot less because there's so much more to know i don't think the question is anymore other aliens visiting from other planets i think that's just probably one of a whole host of questions so I, i've always said i've my opinion's always fluid that's not to say that just because someone tells me they think this i'll, I'll totally change my mind but if someone makes a really valid point and backs it up then if it's worth considering i'm more than happy to kind of add that into what i think or or kind of change how I approach the thinking about something. And I think that's what you've got to do in this subject. You've got to make sure that you're you're open-minded. I mean, just given the nature of the topic, you've got to be open-minded with it. But you've got to make sure that you are, you're listening to everyone and hearing everyone's opinion. You, you don't have to, and you can't agree with it all either. So yeah, um, it's, it's, it's changed a bit. It's had its kind of fluctuations, but I think I'm in a, a good place where I'm like, I've got a rough idea of what I think is is happening and going on. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a real minefield. The whole the whole topic, really, in general, and it, it really helps to have podcasts and things like UFO Twitter to be able to navigate the minefield, really. But um, yeah, that that was one thing you mentioned there about the you went into the whole thing thinking of things mostly as like a nuts and bolts thing, and then the consciousness side of things kind of opens up. I've been on exactly the same journey recently, and it's uh, feels like my my thinking on it completely changes from week to week at the minute, which is uh, a bit mind blowing but exciting at the same time. But one thing I was going to um, say about that as well is the um, 
the sense of responsibility to listeners to kind of make sure all your, your facts and figures are, are right. Do, do you feel a bit of that or do you just kind of talk with people and, and not really think about it much deeper than that? Honestly, like um, I'm, <clears throat> of, of the people I, I have on, I'm probably the least informed or it is just my opinion. Like I don't go like research. I've, I've, I've never said I'm a researcher. I've never claimed to be a journalist. It is just my opinion and I just like to go in, especially with interviews, because the podcast has changed. It's gone along that I do interviews, but I do the discussion shows, the listener call-ins, the roundtables and various different bits and pieces. But when it comes to the interviews, I look at the the high-level stuff. I don't dive into too much detail because that can kind of shape my opinion or give me a bit of a bias. I like to just kind of have a kind of natural conversation as it goes along. I think there's been a few interviews where if I've looked into too much detail, the conversation can kind of just hone into one thing and you can get a little bit pigeonholed and stuck just talking about, yeah, but this date and this time and this happened. And that's where for me, it's just, I let the guests do the talking, which is just my style. It doesn't mean it's wrong or right, but I let, I ask the questions, let them talk. And then if they say something that I want to follow up on or I find interesting, or if, if a listener has sent in a listener question and off the back of that, I think that's a good time to pick that up then I'll go down that route and go down that avenue. So the interviews and the podcast is structured, but people seem to enjoy the fact that I do just have that conversation. And if it goes off in a little bit of a tangent here and there, then that's great, that's fine. I don't bog myself down too much with hours and hours of research. There's been interviews where I've, I've taken 15 minutes before the interview and wrote down some notes because I, I know what I want to talk about and I know what I want to start the conversation with. And there's been other interviews where I've I've spent a couple of hours on it, and and really I, I don't see much of a a difference either way, because something will come up in the conversation. I think I've said a lot of times as well, Frank. That I've said quite a few times that I I always thought when I started the podcast that I wanted to ask questions that I would hear in other podcasts. And I would be shouting almost to the, the interviewer or the host, oh, ask about that, ask about that. They've said something really interesting and they would just let it go. And that's not to say I'm perfect and pick up on all that stuff. But if I'm having a conversation with you just now and you say something that piques my interest or you give a theory or an opinion and I want to know more about it, then that means other people listening will want to know more about it more than likely. Not everyone, but some. And I'll go down that route, down that rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it. So that's the way I've always kind of treat the podcast. That do you know what? I'm I'm quite natural at having a conversation and talking to people anyway. Always have been growing up. I've always been a chatty person. Helps having a podcast and all. But I think just through natural conversation, you can get to a lot of really good places and a lot of really good points. And it won't come across as like convoluted either. Yeah, man. Well, I, no, I I hear that. I've always been the same. People always say I could sort of tie, talk the uh, hind legs off a donkey and things like that. So I thought, yeah. well, I may as well do it and put it out there for other people to have a listen to as well. But yeah, that's the thing as well. You don't really need to be necessarily an expert, or you can't really be an expert in every single aspect of this anyway, can you? So it's more about just kind of being curious, I suppose. That's kind of how I try and approach it. And just be be curious and then listen to the experts in each of the really specific fields as well to try and kind of, you know, inform your, your viewpoint as you go along. But yeah. And and a massive a massive thing on that for me is you've got to be yourself. If if you're if I'm not a details guy or I'm not a numbers guy, you know, like I've got like Dave Partridge from Shadows of Your Mind magazine or like Dan who comes on that or Graham Rendell, the stuff they can just pull off the top of their head blows my mind. I can't do that. I will hear them say something or a date and I'll have to go, I'll Google it while they're talking <laughs> yeah. um, because that's just, okay, I'll, I'll check that and I'll be honest and I'll, I'll never lie and pretend I know about something I don't on the show because I, I don't do that in real life anyway. Um, so for me, it's important you're just yourself. You've got to be honest and you've got, and that sounds proper cheesy, but in any walk of life, but just be yourself because if you're, if, if I'm Andy and I start my podcast and I'm sitting there trying to be Ryan Sprigg, then I'm just doing a Ryan Sprigg impression. What's the point? Yeah. He does what he does and he does that well. Same with Jay from Project Unity or John Greenwald or Stephen Greenstreet or anyone who's got a podcast. They've, they've got to be themselves and whether people like that or not, that's that's their choice. But 
there's an authenticity to just being yourself and it makes it a whole lot easier because you're not playing a character or putting on a performance because as the host of a podcast there's not many people especially when you're starting out that are, that's tuning in for you like I, I never claim to be an anybody okay I, but I, I can't deny the podcast has like a listener base now but for me it's it's about the guest so people are tuning in to listen to the guest and their story and their experience or experiences you know what they know what they can add to the conversation and i'm just there to serve as the listeners you know conduit to ask the questions so that that's the way i kind of treat the interviews and that seems to work so the being yourself is a huge huge thing for me with this yeah oh definitely man well listen it's, it works for me obviously I, I love listening to to the podcast you know you and dan uh, you know the, the way that you do it the discussions is, is fascinating and stuff so yeah but uh, i don't want to keep bigging you up too much but um yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. What, what you were saying about um and the numbers stuff that that's definitely something that i'm not <laughs> you know like i was the guy in history class who could never remember the dates of all the battles and all the you know yeah that that's me yep yeah yeah but you don't necessarily need to be able to reel off every single case and the date that this happened and so on to to be involved and to you know to be curious and find out more about it absolutely yeah let's let's crack on with the next uh, next question and so um what do you consider the most compelling piece of evidence for the existence of ufo's and uaps like if you had to show one thing to somebody who has no idea about the topic, what would it be? So it depends. I I put a lot of faith in Lou Elizondo, and one day that could that could potentially turn around to be totally misplaced. He was a disinfo guy. He didn't work there. It's all been a government conspiracy, and him and Tom DeLong put this together, blah, blah, blah. That could happen. There's always that 1%, right? I think in this subject, to go 100% in on anything is foolish, right? But I am totally on board, as people will know, with who Lou is, what he done, where he worked. For me, to be able to put some of Lou's conversations and what he said in front of people, especially people who aren't necessarily involved in the subject, and say, this is the guy who ran the US government's UFO program for, for want of better terms, okay? You know, there's no point in saying a tip to someone who, who doesn't know what it is. There's no point. So this guy ran the US government's UFO program between 2012 and 2017. He says something's going on. He says this footage is not us. And he's got to the point now where himself, Chris Mellon and co are now saying it's not human. They're almost frustrated at people still coming up with that that aspect. So... For me, that's a huge thing to say. This guy who, if you're going to talk about the people who know, he is one of the guys who knows, and he's pointing us down a certain path for a reason. So I put total, total faith in what he says and what he does. And along with that, you have people like Commander David Fravor, you know, you've got Alex Dietrich, uh, I forget, is it Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich? I forget the titles. See, I could Google it or make up, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but you know, these these people who, regardless of their military or not, they they saw something very, very close. They are in an area or a field where it was taboo to talk about it. And it's only recently we've really had the stories come out and the, the exposure to kind of the worldwide media, which has been great. So people like that, it's, it's great for me who, if they're open-minded and willing to look at the subject, that's the sort of stuff I, I introduce them to. If you don't mind, though, there, there's the other part of it where the people who are still, yeah, but there's no such thing as aliens. It's all a bit crazy. They don't care about the people's backgrounds or authenticity or the military aspect of it. They've got no interest in that because it's still aliens coming from other planets. So for me, with that kind of stuff, it's it's shown them, you know, like footage. And again, it goes back to the probably the, the gimbal, the Tic Tac videos as a piece to say this is recent and up to date. And I, I totally appreciate why that recent report, uh, the, the UAP Task Force report, focused on events from 2004 onwards because it's the best quality of data, it's the most up-to-date equipment, and the, the people are still active or alive or still have their wits about them to talk about it. So it's multiple sources corroborating events. So I appreciate that. But I get why people get frustrated. We didn't go back into stuff that happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s or 70s. 
but those people have passed on. There's not a lot of data. There's not a lot of footage or evidence or proof. So you've got the newest, most up-to-date stuff gives you the best quality. Um, so for me, it's 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 a lot of it stems off of what Lou Elizondo's come out and said and done. Um, and other than that, I would show people who are really skeptical the footage, the gimbal, the tic-tac, and the go-fast. And I would say, here's some legit stuff from the US Navy uh, and what they have filmed, which they are classifying as UFOs, just to try and open up the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And and I think the Nimitz case is, is one of those that's a really big one at the moment in terms of bringing new people into the topic as well. I mean, obviously it was a really big part of, of bringing me kind of back into the topic after sort of putting it on the back burner for a, a long time. Um, and we'll kind of come back to that later on. There's, there's another question that I've got that relates to the, the Nimitz and everything. But um, just to follow up a, a little bit more on that, what would you say the most significant UK case actually is? Do you know, it's it's funny that I know more about stuff that's happened elsewhere in the world than, than the UK, but I think that's that's probably relatively normal for, for this subject. Um, UK-wise, it's, it's probably got to be Rendlesham. Mm. Um, from, from a UK point of view, it's not really a case, but it's you know, my own sighting that I saw in, in Glasgow when I was a kid. For me, that's... Because it was my experience, that's the best thing I've seen. That's better than the Navy's videos and footage because I saw what I saw up close and you might get to asking me about that, I don't know. But that that for me is all I need to know about the subject and what might be out there or what might be possible because I saw what I saw. So if nothing else had come out, if there was no videos, no footage and it was still just us talking about Roswell, then for me that's enough because I saw what I saw um, like definitively. And that that's enough proof. So from a UK point of view, though, well-known cases, it, it's probably got to be Rendlesham. Even though I, I spoke to Dr. David Clark, uh, everyone was doing Rendlesham podcast in December because it was the 40th anniversary. So I chose to get on a skeptic who, well, they have an interest in UFOs. They, uh, Dr. David Clark, from a British point of view, believes that is very much explainable through various different things, including lighthouses and, 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 and whatnot. Um, so I had a conversation with him about Rendlesham. I I disagree with that. I don't think a lot of what he says necessarily works out totally. Um, so for me, Rendlesham, something was there over multiple nights with multiple witnesses. I think over time, so some of the witnesses have embellished a little bit, and the stories have naturally changed. Maybe for monetary gain, maybe just for you know for the passages of time. But something happened at Rendlesham that wasn't wasn't human technology that they encountered. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's funny, you know, the the thing of the UK versus the US in terms of the cases that are available and that kind of thing. I, when I was kind of, you know, looking into this over the last couple of weeks, it's really hard to actually find any, you know, really data dense cases from the UK, you know, compared to the states and things like that, and and even other countries as well around Europe and you know South America and all that kind of thing. It's just. There's not really, I don't know whether that's just down to, you know, the government have been more secretive about it and they're not being as forthcoming with the information as the Americans are at the moment. But maybe we'll see some more cases, you know, from the UK coming do, up. As, do you not think as well, though, being from the UK, that I think I struggle with the fact that it's, it's too close to home in the sense that, you know, if you're watching a movie and all of a sudden it jumps from, I'll use an example recently, I just, on the tv fast and furious like nine was on okay and i know they're not the most realistic movies but they are in london all of a sudden at one point now i'm i'm conditioned to watch a movie and they're normally based in america big action blockbusters and i can totally switch off from that but as soon as it switches to being based in britain and hearing english or scottish or welsh or irish accents and seeing taxis that i'm used to and shops that i'm used to it takes me out of it because i just think that stuff doesn't happen here. It just so I, I think there's an element for me that not that incidents and events and sightings don't happen in the UK, but it's just weird seeing Scottish places attached to it, or you know Welsh towns, or English cities or villages being attached to UFO cases because there's just something that doesn't seem to fit with it. But I think that's just a preconceived idea that stuff happens happens in America that I've had since I was growing up, basically. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly what you mean. It's like when you watch um, a, a film, you know, obviously most films are, are American accents and stuff, aren't they? And um, yeah. then when, when you watch like a UK movie, everything seems like a little, a little, everything just hits different, doesn't it? Because, you know, they've all got sort of familiar accents and when they go into a shop, it's like the local shop that you go to and stuff. And it definitely subconsciously kind of changes how you take in the information. But yeah, it's, it's also just the... Um, thing about the the u.s being way more open to the the topic in general i mean it's like I've, the, my podcast relatively new i've not got like huge numbers or anything listening to the podcast but you know when i look at my, my statistics it's probably about 70 percent of the listeners are from the states compared to the uk but you know yep. hof- hopefully we'll see we'll see a bit more um interest in it in the uk you know it's kind of hopefully one of the things about podcast about the topic being from the uk you know we've got those familiar accents and everything and we're all talking about it so hopefully we'll see the you know the ball rolling a little bit more but um let's get on to the next one so the the next one kind of ties in with it a little bit really um what what are your thoughts on crop circles because when i was younger i remember hearing a lot about crop circles i remember seeing these like programs on tv about them looking into them and all the rest of it but since I've kind of jumped back into the topic over the last few years, seems that there's not really that much discussion about them. I mean, maybe it's just that I'm missing it, or maybe there's just more impressive data available for other types of cases, or maybe they've been debunked. So I just wondered, like, what what your thoughts were on that. So I find crop circles really interesting in the sense that there's a lot of them that are clearly man-made, and I find it pretty cool to see a video of how you know, two people can go out in the middle of the night with lamps on their head, a couple of boards under their feet and some rope and create a pretty uh, difficult, you know, geometrical or pattern. And it's like, that looks pretty cool. However, they always still have a look about them that you can tell they've been done by people. Um, the ones that really interest me, though, are when you see these extremely complex patterns and not just the pattern itself, but when you drill down to it, for example, the, the stalks of wheat are bent at such an extreme angle that there there's thousands and thousands of stalks of wheat bent at the exact same angle with no degree of you know error. And then within those, you've got the, the little kernels or the seeds between the joints and some sort of pressure or radiation has popped all of those out as well. That's the kind of stuff that you just couldn't do by hand. And those are the ones that really interest me as to what they are or why they're there, the legitimate ones, it's pure wild speculation. But I, I like a bit of that. But the like the movie Signs, the whole idea that crop circles are being used for these things to to meet and position themselves and plan an attack is pretty interesting. Um, the, the idea that these craft are appearing there and leaving pictures for us to look at, it's probably less likely. Um, you'd imagine it's either for them or it's a byproduct potentially of of something they are doing that leaves that particular mark which is which is an interesting way to look at it as well but yeah i find it pretty interesting it's something i've not really talked about too much on on my podcast um funny i was i was i was messaging someone just a week or two ago about it but yeah um it's a pretty interest i mean I'd, i'd like to know what you think about them well, just like I say, ever since being a kid, I remember hearing a lot of talk about crop circles, and I definitely find them fascinating um, in terms of like actually what they are and stuff. Like you say, it is really just uh, speculation. I've actually been looking over the last few weeks, in particular, for like really good documentaries or you know people who have made investigations about crop circles, particularly in the UK. Um, so if you know of any, feel free to like you know drop me my uh, DMs or something like that because I'm I'm kind of on the hunt at the moment. But it kind of, um, I mean, this is I guess getting into the speculation side of things. But I, I I kind of agree with you that it's not really a specific thing that they're the others or whoever's create or whatever's creating the actual crop circles. I don't think it's a deliberate thing to like show humans something or or whatever. I think it's more a byproduct of some kind of perhaps some kind of energy source or, you know, something along the lines of that. Like say if, for example, if if there's some kind of extraction of something from the earth or something, perhaps they could be left behind as a 
as a byproduct of that. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like I say, it's it's just speculation, really. But that's whenever I kind of think about it, that's the the path that I end up going down with with my thoughts. Um, but yeah, I think I think what interests me with it is the idea that, and it maybe opens up to stuff we'll talk about. Though you said the others, okay, I would always think of the others being from here slash this planet slash this dimension. You know, sharing a, a similar space to us, being under the water, something like that. I always think crop circles would be from things that are from elsewhere and that would be more than likely you're from other planets or for no reason don't know why but i just get that feeling whereas i think some of the other the other stuff that goes on is a uh, is stuff that's based here yeah it's, it's something i hear i've been hearing a lot recently is that, that these things could be kind of not not so much crop circles but just in general other aspects of the phenomenon it could be kind of all of the above so we could be having you know things from other dimensions things that are based here on on the earth things that are actually coming in nuts and bolts crafts and all the rest of it and it'd be interesting to as like more data becomes available to see if crop circles do tie in with one specific part of that you know or or another it's like you you were saying your kind of feeling is that the that they could possibly be from you know something from elsewhere rather than actually something from here on the earth i think i think my kind of instinctive thing would probably be that they are from something that's here on the earth but like you say it's just speculation isn't it and hopefully we get a bit more actual data about these things because it'd be really fascinating to find out more about it but um yeah just moving on to the next one then so Again, kind of about the UK stuff, this really, but how, how seriously do you think the UK public do actually take uh, the topic at the moment? Where do you think we're up to with, with the public's perception? I think the public's still stuck in the 90s, that you've got the X-Files and there's not a lot to talk about and it's unlikely anything is visiting here. Um, so you 30 years behind the US. And that that's not the ones that are interested in it, but I think the the 99% of the population don't have an interest in the subject because it's not it's not spoken about in a serious way. It's not reported by the media in a serious way. It doesn't appear on, on TV or news programmes without a kind of snigger or a smirk or a, or a cheeky smile or grin or I've always used that, you know, and finally part of the news. Yeah. You know, little green men, it's even when they're trying to report in a serious way, they have to throw in the jokes or the the truth is out there lines and it's funny what you kind of you start to realize as well as that a lot of these things being put together on the news and this includes the us as well they're they're just being put together by interns and stuff as well that don't necessarily have an interest in the subject so even a serious journalist who is reporting on the subject it's not as if they are putting the video package together that has the flying saucer you know screeching over the white house you know, with kind of rubbish computer graphics, that's someone who's sitting in an office being told, we've got a UFO piece tonight, can you put a video together? And that that's how it's kind of put together. So I think even some of the stuff we've seen on Fox and CNN and those types of channels, that's where sometimes the tone of the conversation still doesn't necessarily match the the quality of the footage in the background. And that's something I asked Lou Elizondo about with, um, earlier this year when I asked him about one of the programs he appeared on, I think it was on Fox or CNN, and they they were having a really serious discussion with him about UAPs, UFOs, and it was really good, and the, the host was really interested. But the video playing behind Lou was a mix of the, the footage we know and some really well-known CGI hoaxes and, and you know fake footage. But when I asked him about it, he, he said the same thing, that he shares the same frustration, that these are just being put together by people with no interest necessarily in the subject who who jump online and with half an hour's notice just type in ufo videos and they pull together some videos off the internet one of them was uh, a piece of footage from the iphone app that's like basically creates ufos and whatever scene you're filming and that made it on that made its way to kind of mainstream us news so that's where we're at in the uk yeah yeah no i totally agree that we're way behind the us on that particular topic but it's uh and yeah exactly the same frustration that whenever you see these things i w- i think i mentioned it actually on on um on twitter the other day replying to one of something i think that you'd posted um the a real pet hate of mine is that mix of real footage or you know real unidentified footage with cgi and like really obviously kind of 
fake stuff because um, it's just impossible to actually be able to decipher what you're seeing on the screen is whether or not it's real intriguing footage or whether it's just something from like a movie or some kind of totally fake thing and um, that's definitely annoying but I think like um, one thing that I kind of have a little bit of sympathy not to like um, defend you know people who are not putting together the best articles and and you know pieces in on the news and things about this topic but i kind of have a bit of sympathy in a way because there's just so many different characters that they have to reference when they're talking about this topic you know it's like i've been interested in it for a long time but really kind of deeply diving in over the last couple of years and there's just so many names of people all with different you know theories and even all the different um what do you call it the the abbreviations of like you know ATIP and OSAP and all these kind of things. Yeah, it's so baffling, and it's actually something I think um, organisations like UAP Media UK and things like that, which I know you're involved with, can be really helpful because you know these journalists who want to reach out, you know, and actually get involved and do might be actually a bit worried that they're going to get some of it wrong, and you know things like UAP Media UK can really help to inform them and give them the information to make sure that they're, they're putting the, the right facts out there and stuff that was the that was the reason behind kind of kicking off uap media uk um myself and dan having that initial conversation then talking to dave and then then adam and obviously graham and chris have came on board since as well that it's it's not that you know we want to be the ones talking about it in the media or we want to be you have to come to us for a quote but it's just giving journalists and politicians, anyone the platform that wants to discuss it or find out a little bit more. Or if if you're a journalist and you're writing an article and you want a source, then hopefully we pop up and you can at least reach out to us for a comment or a quote or we can point you in the right direction. If, if you have no interest in talking to the six of us, that's fine. We don't take offence to that. No reason they should have. But if you want to even ask us, who are some of the credible people we could speak to? Who could we reach out to? To talk about this this or this then we've got a database that we would happily put you in touch with people for that's that's the reason behind it like you say so it takes off a lot of the hassle and stress of the research side of things and it's nice some of the people that have reached out to me for quote i was on bbc radio 3 but the producer listens to the podcast nice. so they told the host when they were doing a piece that this could be someone we could get on which was great and it was nice to go on and and have like a serious discussion about it as well so so yeah that's it's having that database there for people and trying to engage local politicians and you know people have people have heard about like the big phone home that happened a few months ago and the you know the potential impact that may or may not have had but from a uk point of view there, there's no point in doing a big phone home and it's just being brutally honest there, there's for this for the small number of people who would get in, involved or get in touch it's the same people that if i put a podcast or you put a podcast or we post it online but i'll add i'll add this to it that i've i've reached out to people that write in local newspapers and local journalists that i've seen articles and it's just a really cheesy tone and i've reached out and just kind of said hi read this in this paper it was good to see it being reported on um but they've either spoken to people that no place to be talking about the subject or the tone of it still talking about x-files and little green men and and all that kind of stuff and you know it always ends with do you think the truth is out there and it typically ends up the same way that the journalist will get back to me saying that they've got a big interest in the subject they're a big fan and the you know they're, they're they want to do more stories on it and i always make the point that do you know what please check out this website check out this resource you know if you want to speak to any of us or, or anyone else we can help you get in touch with um, it'd be good because we're, we're kind of trying to change the tone of the conversation. That's without being disparaging to people's articles or their work, but it, it generally doesn't change. Um, we're lucky at the minute we've got Henry Holloway, who's a, a senior foreign affairs, I believe, correspondent for The Sun. Um, that's pretty much his title. I might have got it a little bit wrong. Uh, he's he's done a lot of articles on, on UFOs and UAP and keeping up to date, and he is reaching out to UAP media and reaching out to us for quotes and He's, he's really interested in reporting this in a serious way. And that's the kind of journalist that, regardless of what you may or may not think of the sun and what it's done in the past, as a journalist independently, they're going to be at the forefront of a conversation, hopefully, when, when this starts to make its way into the UK. But until politicians start talking about it or wanting to talk about it, because some of them do, but they don't, um, it's, it's just a very British thing, isn't it, that 
it's aliens, it's spaceships, it's nonsense. It's there's more important things going on. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I've actually been quite surprised recently by the the Sun, and I think even the Daily Star has been putting out a few articles about UFOs, and I've kind of clicked on them, thinking, "Oh, here we go again," and then actually found it to be a little bit more kind of uh, serious in tone than I was uh, than I was anticipating, which is quite weird, really, for the the Sun and the Star. But now I know that they're kind of uh, in communications with you guys. It probably makes a bit more sense why they've got all the facts in order. <laughs> But um, it's it's a funny one. I I don't really read that much news, but it seems that the the tabloids are kind of paving the way a bit, really. I mean, there has been some articles about the topic in things like the Guardian and the Independent, you know, like the broadsheet kind of newspapers and stuff. But it seems to be that the um the the tabloids are kind of doing more, really, if anything, in this country. Whereas it's probably a bit different in the states. Again, there's a lot of things that are different with this topic in the states but you've got real kind of heavyweight intellectuals weighing in, in the states haven't you but um I th- yeah i think covid covid's been a massive thing though from a uk point of view that there's there's no wiggle room for for other subjects and topics really to break their way into the news when when covid's about which is going to stifle a lot of that conversation and progress and I think a lot more of what happened in the last few months or the last six months in the US would have made its way into our news had COVID not been a thing. But it's given the newspapers and the broadsheets and the mainstream media, you know, countless years worth of material to write about and talk about and, and broadcast. So they've, they've had their fill of COVID and it's it's unfortunately put the UAP topic on the back burner. And l- let me cl- quantify that as well by saying there are other topics out there that are that are big deals and i know this is something that we're passionate about and other people but so i get that it's not the be all and end all i know for some people it is but there are other things that go on in the world and that are being discussed or not being discussed it should be but this is something also that we we want to see pushed in a in a mainstream way yeah brilliant so let's um i think it's probably a good time to start delving into the more speculative side of things so if we allow ourselves to go down the path of thinking that ufos and uaps are definitely a real thing which is obviously a viewpoint that i hold uh, anyway and, and and yourself um human curiosity naturally starts to kick in and you want to speculate and and theorize about what these things are and so on and um this is a bit of a controversial one, especially recently, but in a, in a recent episode of, of my podcast, I was discussing the possibility of ET civilizations or non-human intelligences in general, really, uh, as well as just ET, as whether or not they would be good or evil, as, as we define it. It seems like a lot of people are really split on this at the, at the moment. It's kind of a big talking point of the, you know, the, the threat narrative and then on the other side of things, you've got the, the C5 kind of people saying the absolute opposite. Uh, and I was wondering, where do you stand on, on that issue? I I think there's there's a lot of different beings or species or entities potentially at play in this. I would say some some are some are good, some aren't so good, some don't care. Um and I suppose in the grand scheme of things, why why should they? It depends on their their view. Like, if if we're seen as an inferior race or a kind of newer newer species that's that's kind of coming up in the the food chain as such, in the kind of bigger scheme of things, then why would they treat us any differently potentially to the way we treat some of the species on on this planet? And you know, I've talked about that before. That if you look at a zoo, you know, they look after the whales, but or like I'm like a sea life centre. They look after the whales, but those animals are kind of kept in captivity. And is that necessarily fair on them? Um, we've got species that we don't treat well at all. We've got species that we we hunt for food. We've got species that we've wiped out over the over the centuries that accidentally or not, it still happened. So why would species similar or you know intellectually more superior than us or more evolved or developed? Why would they have to care? So I. I I think there's just a lot of different ways that you'll get some really... It's just like human human beings, though, as a species. We've got some people who are nice, some people who aren't so nice, and some people who just kind of sit somewhere in the middle. And that's probably no different as you kind of go through the, the evolutionary scales, I suppose. 
Yeah, I think it, it, my my kind of viewpoint on, on that is, is is evolving all the time. But um, I, I kind of think that it's probably a lot like a lot of other things in life where it's not really a black and white issue. You know, like everything's evil or everything's really, really nice and they want to just wonderful things for us and all the rest of it. The truth is probably somewhere in between. And you're always going to have, it's like politics at the moment, you know, you've always got, one group of people who say not everything is this way and then another group of people who say it's the other way and and really the kind of the reality of the situation is kind of somewhere in the middle isn't it and and i'm always kind of a bit wary when people are absolutely certain about a viewpoint and you know present it as an absolute fact because you know what is actually factual can kind of change depending on the knowledge that's available really doesn't it but um just to kind of follow up on that then you've got to be able to look at it from both sides yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. And I think that's kind of where, again, you know, the, the, the generally the, the podcast and, and the even UFO Twitter, it actually kind of, even though sometimes it feels a bit like a battleground, I'm relatively new to it, so um, I'm sure you're a bit more of a, a seasoned veteran of the UFO Twitter world, but um, it is basically just everybody kind of having a debate, which sometimes can get a bit intense and stuff, but it's eventually it kind of helps everybody to reach a kind of a middle ground hopefully anyway you would think you know but um yeah what i was going to ask you to kind of follow up on on that is have you, have you ever considered trying c5 and things like that i'm really impatient um so i, I have considered it yeah just the idea of sitting out and i've sat on the trampoline before like the kids have got the trampoline around the back i say that as if everyone's got a trampoline okay like <laughs> we have a relatively small garden and during covid uh, we got a trampoline for the kids i've sat on that in a starry night you know and just looked up at the stars if it's been warm and lay back and just see see if anything happens not practiced anything not you know cleared my mind and all that kind of stuff that people talk about but just just to see um bits and pieces you know kind of was about and could be satellites could be space junk all that kind of stuff but you see things from time to time um i've never i've never done it in the sense that you would see in a c5 documentary that i've hitchhiked and i've meditated and you know i've sat with a group and we've, we've chanted and all of a sudden a, a huge saucer's appeared in the sky it's <clears throat> i think it's very unique to the individual the experience and i talked about that with james iandoli recently that it's different for everyone how they experience and what they experience um i definitely think there's something to it it's not you know when we talk about ce5 or human initiated contact or whatever you want to call it it's stuff that's been happening for for thousands of years through different you know evolutions of man as well and native americans you know indigenous people they seem to have this contact still with this you know spirituality and you know the sky and the stars that they've never lost Whereas a more technologically developed side of the world seems to have seems to have come away from that as we've kind of went more kind of digital and yeah, so there's something to it. And if you want to think of it as tapping into the force or whatever it might be, then I, I think that's that goes back to that consciousness aspect of things, doesn't it? So it's it's definitely interesting. That I, I do need to try it properly sometime. Yeah, it's some something that's. Um when I first started diving back into this topic, I kind of was immediately turned off. I, you know, somebody said like, I can summon, you know, UFOs in the sky, whatever, totally turned off from the idea. It just seemed like the most wacky thing I'd ever heard in my life. But then over the last couple of years of actually kind of delving into things a little bit more and understanding the actual extent of the, the relationship with consciousness and the phenomenon, definitely something that I've got really quite interested in and um i've actually been having a little dabble here and there myself but i'm not going to go into that into too much detail at the moment until i've got a bit more actual of an idea of where it's going and but but yeah i mean that's a whole we could just talk about that for an hour really but let's let's crack on because this next question i really wanted to um to get into unless there's anything you wanted to add about the ce5 side of things I would just ask you, I mean, you don't want to go into it, but yes or no, have you had any luck? Uh, I wouldn't say I've had any luck. What Basically, I've I, uh, I'd started doing some little bits of meditation. Meditation is actually something I've tried over the years um, in general with pretty limited success. Um, but I, I was doing some meditation and kind of got a, a, an idea of a, a, 
of a date and a time that just came into my head, which is actually a date and a time in the future. It's like the 27th of July at eight o'clock. If you, that's the exact thing that popped into my head. So I'm intrigued to see what happens on that particular date at that particular time. Um, but obviously that's going to remain to be seen. But then straight after that as well, um, I was actually inside and I had the kind of urge to go outside and look at a particular part of the sky and couldn't really see anything in the sky, but took a photograph or a couple of photographs of the sky and there was some kind of a dot that appeared um, in the photograph, which I couldn't see with my with my naked eye. I'm kind of tending towards that it was probably a fly uh, or something at this at this point. I mean, you can zoom in on it and it looks pretty weird, but I kind of think it could probably be a fly. Um, but it's still quite interesting. And the date thing, like I say, you never know. I'm going to give it a go on the, the 27th and, and see what happens. But yeah, as I say, that, that kind of... Uh, Let me know how you got on. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll certainly take some pictures and some, some videos if anything does happen. But yeah, anyway, to get into that next question. So one thing that I picked up on recently in a, in a podcast with Lou, Lou Elizondo, uh, is the, the different categories of craft in, in size order. And it's something that, that um, I've never really heard Lou talking about in terms of the, the categorizing by size. And it would appear that we, we have the, the, the smallest crafter or the smallest objects, whatever they are, um, is the sort of cube in a sphere, then the saucer, then medium is like the tic-tac, and then large is the triangle, even bigger is the boomerang, and then possibly the biggest is the kind of circular island thing coming out of the ocean that you mentioned. And he also said that different sizes could be determined by what their actual role is. So do you have any kind of thoughts or ideas of what those different crafts could be doing according to the size and, and so on, what the roles actually are? Yeah, I reckon Tic Tacs are drones, not human drones, but I think they're, they're un, unmanned drones that are checking stuff out. I think similarly, um, the triangle triangles are, if you go back to Chris Mellon and Unidentified Season 2, Episode 3, he sits down with Chris, uh, sorry, David Marler, uh, and his wonderful triangle UFO museum he's got out in his house. And uh, Chris Mellon says he thinks black triangle craft are reconnaissance and scanning or mapping the earth. Yeah, I remember Which that I think isn't, isn't something that you would just come out with, you know, unless you, especially Chris Mellon, he's not someone for really, you know, putting those kind of theories out there unless he's got some weight to it so i always found that a really interesting point um and one i would love to pick up with him if i ever managed to speak to him uh so yeah i, I think there's there's something to that outside of that even then it still goes into pure speculation doesn't it because mm. you know why would they need different size craft why not just use the same craft you know why would they have to transport loads of people and then the other question for me that, again, this goes into that, it wasn't followed up on, is if you've got these different sized craft, are you saying it's the same beings making them all? Or if you're saying it's... So that, so then why different shapes? And if you're saying it's not the same beings, then are different beings at play working together in the sense that there are some that do reconnaissance, there are some that do this, there are some that are just kind of touristy and kicking about? Um that that for me I'd, I'd like to dig into a little bit more from a conversational point of view yeah man that that was one of those moments where i was shouting at the shouting at my phone say ask him more about it you know because they yeah. kind of moved on in the conversation straight after and uh, you know i was i, I was kind of wondering because terry verts is basically um the podcast where that was mentioned and i think he's he's a he's an astronaut and stuff but i don't think he's really kind of a you know into the ufo topic and I kind of wonder maybe that's why Lou had actually dropped it in that particular interview because he knew that he perhaps wasn't going to delve in too far. Um, who knows? I mean, again, it's it's kind of speculation, but it's um it's, it's something about the larger things, the larger objects, craft, you know, whatever they are, that, that's really kind of terrifying. You know, um, I find it quite scary anyway. I mean, other people probably don't, you know, look at it a different way, but I think surely a, a picture of of a larger craft would be more of a game changer in a way 
you know like if you if you've got a pic a picture a photograph of a tiny little blurry thing you know a, a dot or something that's one thing but if you've got like an actual picture even if it's quite grainy of a huge triangle or boomerang hovering over a town obviously there's things like uh, the the phoenix lights and stuff but i think that would be a huge one and what do you what do you reckon like the the impact that a, an actual photograph of some huge object would have compared to like a smaller object honestly not big because i just think people are far too pessimistic or skeptical now and i think uh, like i said earlier on someone was kind of having a go at me online for for kind of poo-pooing the photograph that the youtuber put out recently that isn't into ufos but you know and but other people looking at it said it's probably a long exposure of an aircraft like an airplane but they were like oh why, why are you just dismissing it i'm like i say i'm not dismissing it i'm just saying it's probably that's what it is there's plenty of really good stuff out there that's not been poo-pooed yet but there's a there's a lot of photographs of massive craft potentially out there already that it's just it's that source issue isn't it of what's backing that up you know you can put on any type of photograph online especially in 2021 you're looking for video not photographs so how good is a photograph going to be because it's too easy to say it's fake cgi it's misidentification it's a balloon the the perspectives out on it it looks further away than it actually is all all of the above look at the photos it leaked but <clears throat> from the debrief a few months ago uh that tim mcmillan and you had like the the blimp and the orb type shape and whatnot and everyone straight away was like oh well it's a, a batman balloon yet we have heard that the object's like six feet in size so it's, it's that kind of data that we don't get to say because that would really quickly shoot that down as well that it's not a six foot kids party balloon floating at that altitude either but we, we don't get that corroborating data to kind of back this stuff up i think what we would really need now is something like a phoenix lights incident to happen but even then it's 2021 the first thing that would happen is that it's blue beam it's a false flag alien invasion stephen greer would be going crazy and that's we're just in a really weird place that mindsets have shifted so much since the 90s and even since the 2000s i think especially the last 10 years people have just went on to a different wavelength that even if the the ufo landed on the white house lawn and alien beings walked out some people wouldn't believe it it wouldn't make a difference so it depends on the quality and the source of the data kind of backing things up but bigger craft is maybe harder to shoot down depending on on what else is in the photograph mm. yeah i think it goes back to you know you were saying earlier that like when you see something with your own eyes that's kind of better than any photograph or any any film i think whenever i look up at the sky the thing that i really want to see is the big black triangle you know that's the, like the ultimate if you see a light in the sky and it's moving around and stuff it could be a satellite it could be this but you see a big black triangle flying over your house then it's kind of undeniable isn't it um, and, and that's it I've, I've seen the black triangle like december 2019 um driving home but the the object i saw back in mid 90s was a massive disc-like object on the ground on its side like a ferris wheel spinning like that but that that's quite unusual like i've not heard many other incidents like that where it's always in the sky isn't it or for, for it to be spinning almost on its side is a really odd place and I've, I've never really heard many other you know experiences described like that either so again it's one of those that it probably just sounds like i'm making it up doesn't it to be a bit different but like i say it was a definitely happened um and for me that's that's enough for me to know there's there's stuff out there yeah so so i think i've heard you mention that that particular thing on on the podcast before as well but do you mind going into a little bit more detail yeah yeah um so i, I was walking home uh not walking home i was I, I left what you call the bb so the boys brigade in the uk it's like the scouts i suppose if you're in the us although we have the scouts in the uk and uh we'd left the hall that was held in it was a kind of winter night um clear skies but nine o'clock and it was me my mum my sister and my friend and his mum and we were crossing the road and about half a mile down the road where there was kind of some trees and some houses a really built up busy area so it wasn't quiet there was cars on the road and stuff um so it wasn't in the middle of nowhere 
just behind the houses and trees where there would be kind of football fields and stuff. Uh, there was a, a huge disc. If I had to guess its size, just thinking of the houses and the trees, if you're saying, I might be getting this wrong, but if a house is 50 feet, so maybe 150 feet wow. high, um, you couldn't see the bottom of it because it was behind the houses and the trees, but you could see the top two thirds of it at least. And it was, imagine a kind of Ferris wheel at a carnival, but it was tilted on its side and spinning like a washing machine. Um, and you could just see the lights going round. That's that's what we saw. My mum's not into this subject in the slightest, but she still remembers that. Wow, that's that's a huge um, huge object then. So what what, but col- what but co- it's crazy because the other people would have seen it. Mm. Have, you, have you ever spoken no to one... anybody else apart from your immediate family? It was the mid nineties. There was there was no camera phones, you know. Um, um, there was no one like walking about with massive camcorders on their shoulder. It was nine o'clock at night. And then you've got to ask, did other people even see it? You know, we saw it, but was it just us that saw it? Did other people see it and not say anything? What do you do? You just, you just go home and you go on with your night. You go to bed, you wake up the next day and go back to school. Like, it is, yeah. it's, it's one of those things. Like, now you'd have had the camera phone out, ideally, um, you know. But again, I get in these situations, some people think, they, you just don't think to do it because you're just in awe of the experience. So... Um, it'd be incredible to see something like that again, but I'm sure the odds are astronomically small. So, so a couple of uh, further questions about it, if you don't mind. Go for uh, it, yeah. Um, what what colours were the lights? See, I'm colour blind. Um, but e- even then, like it's it was what twenty five years ago. Um, I only remember them being like white. I don't remember seeing loads of colours. If if there was, I just don't remember it that way. And you may you may have uh, said this, but I might have forgot. What what happened to the object? Did it did it leave or did it disappear or did it just go out of sight when you were when you're going past? We didn't we didn't stay to watch it. We saw it. We stopped. We looked, and I remember saying to my mum and that you know what's that? And there was a oh yeah that's interesting, and we just carried on walking home. So you kind of lose sight of it after a few seconds just because you walk a different direction. Um, if which I know sounds ridiculous, um, especially given what I do now, and you know you always you're always left with what happened. Why not just stay and stay and keep watching? But you don't, and you know what? Maybe if you want to get speculate about it, maybe your the experience is happening for a reason, and you're not meant to stay and watch it. Maybe that's that's what you're meant to see. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, we were left, and if I, I lived in a high rise flat. So, you know, like it's like 19 flats on top of each other, quite you know, normal in Glasgow and more so in the UK than I think in other countries necessarily. Um, if I had gone home and went to the back of the flat where I stayed, I could have looked down onto that exact area. It would have been about 10 minutes later, but I didn't. I was too scared. Yeah. It's, it's something that uh, I've, I've thought about a bit is that, you know, when you have these these experiences whether or not it is for a reason like you said but you know to put you on a certain path or you know whatever maybe there's something in the nature of the actual thing itself which you know kind of stops you from taking out your phone to film it at that moment because the experience is just meant for you or like you say you know now you look back on it you think you know why didn't i go over there but actually at the time you know, perhaps it wasn't really an option, you know, kind of thing. Part of the experience was that you were to just walk past it kind of thing. Yeah, and again, but were, were other people even seeing it? Was it there? Did it look the same? Did did the five of us who saw it see the same thing? Like, it's it's uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Part of the mystery, I suppose, isn't it? Absolutely. So, yeah, have we got time for one more question? Go for it, man, yeah. So... Yeah, another one is the um, the sound. Something that really um, really interests me to do with UFOs in general. It seems to be. I kind of come from a bit of a musical background. I don't really talk about that too much on the podcast, but basically, you know, do music stuff, and um, so obviously, sound is is a big thing that that interests me. And and occasionally, you do hear reports of slight buzzing sounds and things like that from um you know people's experiences but i think the majority really are completely silent um 
did first of all, did you hear any sounds associated with your sighting? And do you know of any other sightings that did have sound? No, there was there was nothing with ours. Like again, we were rough estimate half a mile away from it. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. When I saw the black triangle, I was in the car and it was hundred feet above the head. Um, nothing, couldn't hear anything then. Um, it's one of those things. Just, you tend to either hear with any experience there was no sound at all, which is a bit of a signature in itself, or there's a low humming noise that kind of fills the air. Um, you, you never really hear much else, do you? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting one because the thing is, is that like humans, I don't know how kind of clued up you are about sound frequencies and so on, but like humans basically have a certain range of hearing and you know, like you get those little devices that you can put in your garden so that it stops cats from coming in. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but it's basically... I know the ones you mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a little box. Um, what got me thinking about this is that whether it's because I do music or, or just particular my hearing in general or whatever, those things are really painful for my ears. And sometimes, like, we're walking down the street with some friends or something, I'll be like, ah, what's going on there, you know, really wincing in pain. And then the people I'm walking with can't hear it at all. And it kind of got me thinking that perhaps, you know, UFOs, they do actually make sound, but it's just, you know, outside of what we can actually perceive, like really, really sub frequencies or really, really high frequencies. And some people can actually pick up on just a little bit of that with the with the humming sound that I've heard Pete mentioned. But um, the majority of people can. Or is it just that they don't have any sound at all because of the type of propulsion system that they use and things like that? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, really, more than possibly. Like like I said, I'm colourblind, so we don't know. I'm sure, I don't think there's been studies done, but is there, is there anything to say that, as well as sound, we see, in our, we see in a visible light spectrum, don't we? And there is infrared and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a whole range of things we can't see, but they are there. And different frequencies that you can hear and that you can't hear. So maybe people who are colorblind see these things more than people who don't maybe that's just part of it and there's something in the brain so there could be all kinds of like sensory issues that yeah you're more sensitive to one thing so you're more likely to see these or like you say they, they maybe operate in a, on a sound frequency that we just can't hear maybe there's no need for a sound to be produced just with what they do same when it comes to to seeing the craft as well maybe they're Maybe right now above your head, you look at the clouds, you can't see anything. Maybe they're there, but they're just operating in a different light spectrum until they come through, for whatever reason, to the one that we can see them. Yeah, I kind of think of it in terms of um, what what would the, you know, assuming there is some kind of non-human intelligence behind these, these craft, uh, you know, UAPs, UFOs, whatever they are, what would they make of music, you know? Would they find it horrible to their ears or, or do they even have ears? Would they even be able to tell that the music's playing? You know, it's something that, that really fascinates me about um, about how they would actually... We see music as just something that's day-to-day, don't we? But, like, can they even pick up on it? You know, do they even realise it's there? Does it sound horrible to them? Yeah. It could well, be totally pointless. It might be like, what are you doing? You know, like, there, there's no comprehension, potentially, of playing a musical instrument or you could play a song or you could smash a keyboard with a hammer and it would sound exactly the same in the sense that what are they supposed to be picking up here or looking at? Um, and it's even those kind of questions I quite like because it goes into even even little things like when you see a, a craft or a UFO, right, is that made somewhere? Is it a factory or somewhere that that craft is physically made? Does it Has it always existed? Has every UFO seen, has it always been there because it just is or is it made? somewhere are they grown you know that's i find all that kind of stuff fascinating as well but again it's pure speculation because that's that goes way beyond the are aliens real or not or you know whatever other beings or entities they might be to how do they make this stuff not just the propulsion system but literally how, how was this first made where do you produce these or do you only have a couple of them like yeah yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. I mean, there's also the thing within music as well of some people claim to be able to actually... I get a little touches of this myself as well, but um, some people, especially people on 
um, I think on the um, on the spectrum of, of autism and, and things like that, the, the claim that they can actually see music, you know, they actually interpret music as a, like a, a, a visual object. That that's really yeah. fascinating to me. I kind of wonder how that would would tie in. You know, could it be that that essentially, you know, through music, you are actually creating a physical object, but only certain people can actually witness it you know could it be that the, the craft are actually made in a in a similar way you know they're made of light waves or made of sound waves that you know but yeah i told you we were going to get into some serious speculation <laughs> <laughs> but yeah well i think that's uh, all we've got time for for today so thank you very much andy for being my first guest on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure no thank you it's it's been good to come on and i say i remember kind of the first weeks and months of mine and uh if you're ever stuck for a guest again, feel free. I'm sure you won't be, but feel free to give me a shout. And if I'm free, more than happy to come on and discuss whatever you want. It's always a fun conversation. Yeah, definitely, man. I'll definitely um, give you a shout at some point soon. It'd be uh, it'd be great to have you back on at some stage. Anytime. Right, thanks everybody for listening. So don't forget you can share your thoughts on today's episode on Twitter. I'm on at UFO Thinker and Andy is at UFO UAPAM. So until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.